0: Hey everyone, Greg the Ski PT back again for another episode of the Levy Ski Podcast. On today's episode, Kurt, known as the Powder Gangster, is a mountain guide in the Whistler backcountry. He talks about how a background in competitive soccer influences his training, his arthroscopic knee cleanup, and how he's working on building out a platform to improve avalanche awareness for everyone. Let's welcome him to the show. All right, Mr. Powder Gangster, welcome to the show. For those of you that don't know... um, this is Kurt. He lives up in Squamish, B.C., close to Whistler, and he is just here to share some insight with us about like kind of his ski story um, and just motivate all of you that are listening. So, yeah, go ahead, Kurt. Take it away.
1: Yeah, my name's Kurt. I'm a friend of ski guide based out of Squamish, British Columbia, and do a bunch of my guiding and touring out of uh, the Whistler region, and so definitely my home zone. And, you know, my skiing journey started a long time ago in the 80s where I was you know, cross country skiing tracks set around our family's property. And then uh, being a kid of the eighties, you know, I grew up watching guys like Alberto Tomba and we had this little ski hill off the back of our, our property where I could kind of put these old kind of gates. I used used sticks and use that as kind of my gateway into downhill skiing. And, And I didn't really start downhill skiing, you know, officially till I was probably like nine or 10. And then from there it kind of took off and Yeah, I think the rest is, you know, becoming history on, you know, kind of that progression. But, uh, you know, I was definitely more into soccer and that was definitely my upbringing is going uh, down that road. Pretty competitive soccer player. Ended up playing in university. And, uh, you know, so I kind of had those two passions growing up. And then, you know, as I've kind of gone later in life and finished university skiing, definitely took over um, with some stints of some competitive bike racing and some things like that. So lots of high performance sport background. And I think for me, my injury journey probably started, you know, pretty young, you know, you know, I don't think people quite understand how rough soccer actually is, um, at the highest levels, you know, we see guys flopping and doing the thing in the world cup, but you get hit really hard and there's a lot of damage that goes on. And so, you know, the year before headed off to university blew out my knee pretty good. And then I'd torn my MCL and we elected not to get it surgically repaired or go in there and fix it with our surgeon at the the university. And, just decided to kind of play with it and definitely was a limiting factor in my ability to play at higher levels as I kind of progressed but at that point the the that door was closing and I think another door was opening up with kind of pursuing skiing and all throughout that you know I was ski racing in in the winter and and definitely honing my craft um, to kind of ski and you know always in my mind as a young kid I always looked at Whistler as being this kind of beacon and I wanted to try and find a way to get out there at some point in my life and and at least experience everyone. Lo and behold, some work opportunities popped up. And, you know, I, I was moving out there and I've been here for almost fifteen, sixteen years now. And so yeah, the the guiding thing is a kind of later in life pursuit for me. And uh yeah, they definitely found kind of that passion of skiing and kind of what I like doing with backcountry skiing and kind of what goes on with that.
0: I mean whistlers Squamish is a pretty phenomenal area and it's like not only good in the winter I mean there's so many areas to get out year round so I don't blame you for, for trying to get out there and stay in I would do the same if I was up yeah. there
1: that's yeah, pretty special
0: um, I'm very curious so I know some of our listeners have maybe torn their MCL maybe not an isolated tear like yours but did you notice after you tore it did that affect your ability to ski at all or how did that kind of transpire
1: yeah it definitely impacted you know the first experience i had was definitely on the soccer side you know the, the some laxity in the knee joint there i couldn't kick the ball the same way and that was never the same um in terms of the skiing part of it you know the torsional the kind of the torsion of the knee was quite a bit different and you still even see it to this day where the kind of my right ski doesn't track the same way as my left ski and it just doesn't it doesn't coordinate the same way. So I have to work quite hard on the strength side of it and to kind of mitigate that. And I'm definitely still wearing a full brace and have since that injury, um, just to make sure that I, you know, don't do any further damage and have to go down the reconstruction route.
0: Yeah, totally. I think there's like ongoing, I mean, even if you're not injured, there's just ongoing maintenance that you have to do. Um, but I'm curious, since you came from a pretty high-level soccer background, you know, you're training specifically for soccer to improve your ability, dribble, shoot, pass, all of that. Um, would you say that your background in that and the training that you've had also has translated to what you ultimately do in skiing today? I I would assume so as a racer, but like what you're doing today.
1: Yeah, I think, I I think the background physically and aerobically building that as a kid running for who knows how many hours a week since you're six, all the way up to 20, 21, 22. I think that makes a big difference in terms of what I'm able to do touring and kind of back-to-back days and just also Also, I guess the training mentality, you know, knowing what you have to do to perform at higher levels, I think that's definitely something that is transferred forward. And I kind of take that approach and have taken that approach quite a ways through all the different things, whether that was some competitive cycling I was doing and even training for guiding exams. It's the same thing, take a very professional approach and and then leave no stone unturned to kind of come up with the best performance. And I think that's kind of been ingrained in in my mind from, from the soccer background.
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, kind of like you're saying, you can train across multiple sports, and they all kind of have similarities. Um, but I know that you're a father right now of uh, one or two, and I'm sure that takes a lot of time. So one balancing training, being a father, and then also being a mountain guide, because those are all physically and emotionally demanding things. How do you do all of those things for someone that like, you know, is trying to work and balance all of that?
1: Yeah, I think time management, I had, you know, people ask me how I manage it. And I think with a delicate touch, I think is probably the the best way of putting it. Uh, a lot of early mornings, I think you have to be dedicated and, you know, 5am wake up's not that uncommon to kind of get a workout in and get those pieces done. And then I'm off to, you know, make lunches and do that uh, kind of stuff. My wife uh, works full time. And, you know, right now I'm kind of working, let's say winters is, is kind of my program the last uh, kind of 16 months. So I think you know that that kind of helps not having kind of a a day a quote unquote day job that's full time during the summer to kind of balance out out kind of that time. But I think it's just making making the most of what you have in prioritizing whether that's your family um, when you have to be there and then you know when you have to work and do the physical things. Um, but I think it's still it's I think it goes back to the the professional part of it. I I look at it and break it down just like you would training. You know, I've got these, this training has to come in and these are the other pieces that have to come in and that's could be childcare and it could be drop-offs. And, and I just work my, my training schedule and my work schedule around that to, to balance it out. But I have a pretty understanding wife. That's definitely a 100% on that side.
0: Totally. Totally. I think that, I mean, as a family and as a husband, you totally have to balance that and play both sides going into it. So if, you're both not on board. It's like, okay, well, what's going to, something has to give like, if, whether it's your training, whether it's time with your kids, whether it's time um, at your work, but to find a balance in all three of those is, is very, very special.
1: Yeah. I, I think the the thing, you know, oftentimes people will go push too far and they'll try and do too much. And I think listening to your body and, and I think now with modern tools, like, you know, Garmin watches. And then for me, I have, you know, almost 10 years of data history from, from cycling. And that definitely gives me an idea of when I've gone too far and when I'm going too hard. And, you know, now it makes it a little bit easier with you know, some of the metrics we're getting from Garmin watches to, to kind of, to kind of back off when we need to back off. And, and I think that's part of the discipline that, uh that some sometimes gets lost in a lot of this is we want to do everything and, and see what these other people or these aspirational people, they're doing everything and they're always doing this, but the reality is they're probably recovering a lot different than the most, the most average people and listening to your body and backing off when you need to back off. Because anytime that I've gotten injured is because I've been pushing the limits. And I think, that's, I think that's kind of indicative for a lot of people. You just kind of take that one step too far and then you know a niggle happens and the next thing it's a full-blown problem.
0: So at this point then in your training, would you say it's pretty measuremented where you do the same things and you kind of know what your limits are from that? Or what does that look like for you to be able yeah. to?
1: You know, I, would say that I try and incorporate some variability, you know, I think for me, a lot of it's now moved into more like ultra running style, uh, training or long, big days, big elevation. And because it's so transferable back to the mountains, uh, my body comes back from that pretty quickly. Um, but I definitely am mixing up the different training, you know, the gyms three days a week is the, one of the big things I found that's been really good. And, you know, anybody that's coming back from recovery, I think you're the people and the team that you have around you to help you is, is probably the most valuable thing. So, you know, last summer I had a, you know, a little meniscal scope to clean up some problems and, uh, you know, I, I went just as if I would have been back in university with a PT team and, and uh, an athletic therapist and went through and did all those pieces that I needed to do to rebuild things. I think having that sets you up and you don't have to do any guesswork because you, know, you know we're good at maybe understanding a little bit of what we're good at, but someone who can kind of provide an outside perspective, motivation, and then quasi accountability to getting back on your feet and getting to a place better than what you were. that people are sometimes apprehensive about spending the money to do it but i think in the long term it's a short-term cost and the long-term benefit is that you'll come back probably stronger and you know now you know no pain no problems with the knee and some occasional achiness but that's just because i'm you know getting getting lots of mileage on the body but it's uh i'd say from the athletic side and from this kind of commitment to strength training i think that's better than I was five or six years ago, maybe even, even longer from the ski side, but also from uh, the physical strength side.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, when you maintain your body, your body responds and it's able to kind of keep up with the demands that you're putting it through. Um, I'm curious for your, for your meniscus scope, was that something where you had a traumatic, like, oh, it all of a sudden happened or was that over time and it was kind of bothering you and you're like, I'm going to try and like rehab it on my own. And then it ultimately was like, no, let's get this cleaned up
1: we we can't pinpoint it there's a couple of things I, I think there's it's probably a combination of two things there's probably some there's definitely some degradation in there from wear and tear over time um and it might have been a trail running incident where i rolled my ankle and that's kind of the biggest that's kind of the one thing we thought it might end up uh, have been um but i don't know and it just as i kind of transitioned out of the fall i moved into the uh into the winter i skied on it and it just got progressively worse and worse and worse and then It was at that point that you know it was elected to have it operated on because that was the only we would I tried everything from a physio standpoint to to fix it and strengthen everything and nothing was working so you know kind of in my in my mind surgery is kind of the last resort and if I can fix it in another way um, then you know I'm going to do that first versus being operated on because it can be a slippery slope with uh, with going in and cutting up knees and taking out. Uh, taking out tissue and you don't know what the result is gonna be. could come out worse. You know, in my case, thankfully I came out significantly better and, and I'm feeling much more confident about kind of skiing on it. Um and I think that's yeah, I think that's the kind of the coolest notes of the you know kind of that that whole process. But yeah, I I yeah I can't pinpoint just one thing. Um but I think it was just a combination of everything.
0: Yeah I want to highlight what you said using surgery as a last result because it's something where once you get the surgery done, you can't reverse that. And if you made the wrong decision, where if you would have gone to physio first, and they would have been able to fix it, it's like, well, you would have been able to still keep your tissues intact, and you wouldn't have had to have this surgery. Um, But for you, I think you exhausted all options. And it was like, okay, this is the most logical next best thing to do, because I've done everything else that I can do. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I'm very curious. Oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah. And I think that goes back to trusting the people and the the physios and, you know, the people that you're working with. And I think they're, they're the experts or, you know, guys like yourself are the experts and, and, and trusting that if you jive with their philosophy and their approach, that they're going to have your best interest and kind of be that balancing force and that kind of devil's advocate for the things that you're thinking of. and And maybe the irrational thoughts you're having around your injury and uh, you know the sky is falling kind of mentality and and bringing you back and then as soon as you know my physio said we've we've kind of done everything we can then you know just this is this is what it is and you know thankfully in squamish we've got you know really really good uh surgeons you know just with the high performance athletes that are around here they've done a lot of surgeries and you know, the, the outcomes, you know, are, are pretty good. So that's uh, definitely a benefit of location for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you have the team and you have the guidance, it really helps. Did you have any, this, despite having the team, did you have any setbacks at all through the the rehab process or was it pretty smooth sailing once you got the scope done?
1: Yeah, I'd say it was pretty smooth sailing. Um, you know, I think probably was, the swelling was probably the biggest part and the longest thing and kind of the, you know, residual scar tissue is probably the, the biggest kind of piece that took the longest to go away. Um, but in terms of getting back on the bike, we had a prehab um, and kind of a pre-surgery plan. And, you know, what I was trying to do, couldn't run, but I was, you know, riding a significant amount on my bike to get as strong as possible. And as soon as I was able to, to get clearance, we were on the bike and, and just doing simple things. You know, pat back and forth on the, the bikes, 20 minutes, three times a day, some balance work and just some simple stuff to get moving. And then, you know, I just continue to progress it as the body allowed. And, and, you know, within, you know, within probably two and a half months, you know, I was pretty much back to, you know, I'd say fun- functional, not back to pre kind of pre-surgery baselines, but quite a bit more functional than I was with, you know, very minimal pain.
0: So for someone like in your situation, who's trying to get back to doing high-level activity as fast as possible, is there one or many things that you think really helped you get there through the rehab process?
1: I, I think mapping it out and having benchmarks and baselines, you know, I think that was something that was really good. We i had done some baselining previous and knowing where I was at going in, in terms of some strength, and then knowing what physically I'm able to do in the past and was able to do in the past. Um, at least I could get some idea of where I was, um especially pre-surgery, knowing what I was looking like compromised, and then looking at, you know, as I progressed through that rehab process, where those benchmarks were. and you know, and I think now and yeah, it now it's gone beyond where some of my benchmarks were in personal best performances on certain certain kind of tours or certain running routes or anything else I like that I've done. so it, it's definitely made a made a difference and you know no pain that. way. So I think just a systemized plan and just making sure you talk about that with your your PT or your athletic therapist or if you're being coached, you know, with a coach is, is really helpful.
0: Awesome, awesome. Since you're a backcountry guide, I've actually had a few people ask me this: like after a knee operation, they are interested in like getting their skins on and just going skinning. What would you say, at least from your experience, um was it like putting on skins versus actually going to the resort and just doing downhill skiing over and over um were you was there one that came before the other or or like what was that like
1: i i definitely started skinning first um and the thought was to use lightweight skis and lightweight boots just to see what would happen and whether there was going to be any swelling or pain and it's a pretty low impact activity just skinning Uh, i think the biggest risk there is the downhill part and whether you've got the strength and the ability to handle the downhill part. But if someone was living in a, you know, in a area where they've got an uphill and designated downhill, I think, you know, and back on a groomed run, it could be, it definitely could be viable depending on, you know, the point of injury and point of recovery. Um, but I think just getting moving, I think that's, I think for a lot of people, you know, they get, we get a little bit fearful about re-injury and, you know, going down that re-injury cycle, and it helps you both mentally getting back to the sport and realizing the sky isn't falling and you're probably okay and just starting to build back that confidence. I think it's twofold, you know, getting back on the sport you love, but also to giving you the confidence to come back from something like that. But it, it is relatively low impact on the skin up. And if you're in a place you had a gondola, you can take a gondola down. I think that's, that's one thing, you know, that I do a ton um, because the downhill running part still – it's a lot of wear and tear and you know we've got gondola access here in squamish and whistler so you know just a vertical hike very similar to what we would do ski touring and then you take a gondola down and you get the vertical and you get the fitness part of it but you don't get the impact and the wear and the tear and so i think that's something that uh that would could potentially work for somebody if they're trying to get back to something
0: yeah i love that advice just going up it's like you' suffering without the fun, which sucks, but for rehab purposes, I guess that's kind of what rehab is, huh?
1: Yeah, I think that comes to visualization. You know, you have to visualize things. And the only way to get through, you know the quote unquote suck or the suffering is to visualize things that put you in the place that you want to be. And when I look at you know whether that's you know skinning uphill or a really hard day in the mountains or uphill running. I think the the thing that I always focus on is why am I doing it? And I'm doing it so I can ski more laps when the skiing is really good. And I don't want to leave anything else on the table or, you know, from my perspective, the safety aspect for clients. I don't want to leave anything on the table and I want to have lots in reserve if something were to happen and I needed to, to be at, at my absolute best and be fit and not, you know, kind of be worrying about that I'm tired or anything else like that. So I, I always look at it, you know, that visualization and I think that gets us through a lot of stuff and we can do a lot of hard work and high capacity work when we're envisioning things that we want to do and I, that's a trick i learned bike racing and and oftentimes you visualize you know the the destination not what's going on right now and that can you know make a big difference into your motivation your mentality to get that work done or stick on or you know stick with your group
0: so i've heard a lot of people say visualization for overcoming the mental struggles and I agree that, like, visualization is a huge component and a huge, um, like, factor that can really help. I think that looks very different for each person, though. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious, like, what does visualization look like for you? I I,
1: I go back to ha- the happy places. And I, you know, I, a lot of people backcountry ski because it is this kind of freedom weightlessness, drifting down the mountain and, you know, cold snow and beautiful mountains. And I think that's that's the visual that I, I go, and that's why I'm doing these things. I'm doing this for that. You know, some people would say oh, I enjoy the uphill as much as the downhill, but I'm definitely a downhill first, downhill first kind of backcountry skier. And, and so I, I look at that, and that's my visualization. Um, you know, from a high-performance athletic um, standpoint, you know, I always looked at it as as winning and visualization the winning and kind of personify that in everything you do and and that's that part of that visualization so i think that that's where it's transferred over from but it's finding the joy and finding that peace that it reminds you why you're doing it and and, and finding finding that and kind of distracts you from maybe the the kind of cycle of woe was me i'm injured i think that pulls you away from that that
0: part that's key. I really like that. Yeah. Visualization, like the, the long-term. Um, Since you are a, a, also a guide, I'm sure you've probably gotten people that have come into your guiding service that maybe are not in the best shape. And it's, it can be a suck when everyone else in their group is pushing and there's that one individual that's suffering. What would you say, like, in, if someone wants to go on a guiding trip like with you or with a different group, what is something they can do on dry land, um, before starts before snow starts to fall that they can really get prepared for just a long guiding trip or a long guided trip
1: yeah I think it depends on whether you're doing like a week-long hut based trip or you're going to be ski touring you know seven days or whether you're doing one off day trips on the weekend and uh I, I, it's just being active um you know for a lot of part of my career I was a uh, you know I spent a lot of time in the office and on the road and flying everywhere and i made it a point to try and do something every day and that's that could be a a hike if you're not a runner you know runner or if you're a cyclist is just getting out and doing that hour and for for people who are serious about backcountry skiing it's all about vertical you know getting your legs used to moving uphill and you know 250 meters of elevation you know whether that's on a stair stepper or whether that's you know on a local hill where you got to do 10 repeats can make a big difference you do that a couple times a week and you no, know, nothing hardcore or structured about it really and, and you can get to a point where you're going to be you're going to be functional enough to, to get through most touring days and this is the beauty about when we're guiding is that we can we can get people through a lot of stuff um just by efficient track setting and moving through the mountains and and pacing and not letting people go into the red zone and managing the group that way um but yeah, kind of the baseline and then the pack carrying you know you must see that a little bit um know with when carry weight it makes a significant difference so i found that that's been a a big thing that i've incorporated is you know putting weight in a pack and whether it's you know ideally uphill but even on the flat ground just getting your back and shoulders in the in the kind of force core work and that functional core work that builds in is a really important thing and um and same with your kind of mini tours i know a lot of people in vancouver they do you know, evening tours up Mount Seymour and some of the other local mountains and, you know, throw in and throw in an extra heavy pack, like an overnight style pack, and then skiing down one of the runs. is definitely a possibility that would get you prepared for, you know, pretty much anything uh, in terms of a backcountry during day on the weekend.
0: Awesome. Those are all huge pieces of advice. And I think for the people listening right now, those are all things that you can incorporate if that's something that you want to do, whether you're doing a one-off day trip or you're doing a multi-day trip but just training for the way that you're going to encounter on the trip is uh, super critical um do you have any favorite tours that you like to do around the the whistler range and you don't have to spoil us with any of your hidden gems but...
1: yeah i think you know if we want kind of the the classics um you know for whistler the classics, definitely. classic musical bumps tour which is kind of this high elevation really nice meadow skiing into into singing pass and there's actually a hut back there now which is you know kind of a major destination for a lot of people we do a a lot of kind of day touring around there and it's i it's i call it blue square fun skiing you know it's low stress low relatively low avalanche hazard in, in most days and it's just enjoyable and it's good views um, in terms of you know where I would you know generally do a ton of guiding we do a lot of guiding off the black home side into the, the spearhead glacier and then into kind of the back spearhead um, which would be into the Torrey glacier and those are kind of easily accessible day trips and, and not overly strenuous you know the the black home day trip you know most people who are you know have got a couple of days underneath their belts we can we can definitely get them through there and it's yeah it's not steep skiing but it's fun and enjoyable and, and beautiful and I think that's that's kind of the the best part for me and you know obviously there's lots of other stuff we can do and you know I I, I'm less about getting rowdy as I was maybe in my younger years and and really focus on the skiing part of it and the enjoyment and and the satisfaction I always tell my guests like my my philosophy is that I don't want to be looking over my shoulder when I'm skiing something you know I want to enjoy it and you know that means the margin safeties are are quite high and we're going to have fun and we're going to get home at the end of the day and that's the only thing that really matters
0: Yeah, I love that. And uh, that kind of transitions into what you do on Instagram. You have some really, really cool educational content. Do you want to kind of tell the listeners about what you do?
1: Yeah, so I can't take full credit for it. It was actually one of my students, um, you know, early on, probably like 2018, 2019, said to be like, I don't really learn in the classroom, he said to me. And, you know, I I really am a visual learner. and I need something that can help me see things and see what you guys are talking about, because I just can't like picture it. And so it kind of sparked my mind, I let it sit for a little bit. And then one day, it just kind of came to me like, you know, Instagram has tons of, you know, people's close calls or avalanche involvements, and they're all over the internet. And so I just started digesting those down. And, you know, we came up with the word avi bites, which is just like a quick little hit. And it started as just a test to see, you know, whether it was going to be working, it's turned into a pretty big, pretty big endeavor, it takes quite a bit of time to kind of go through that. But It it kind of, you know, I don't monetize it. There's no financial gain behind it at all. It's literally all there to educate and provide, um, you know, provide extra mentorship for people where they don't necessarily or may not get it. And, you know, there's a lot of people in behind and a lot of other guides that, you know, if I'm not sure and something looks funky and I'm not quite sure what to say about it, I can, you know, I have a group of people that I can ask. And, you know, so there's definitely a group of people behind it as well that's helping, you know, with those ideas. But... The whole idea is just community outreach, education, and modernization of the way that we deliver Avalanche content. And uh, I think that's, you know, a, a, big, kind of a big portion behind why I do it. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a passion of mine is that education and that coaching and mentorship. And I think that's one of the best ways we can deliver it.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, like myself, I've taken area one and that was like several years ago. But, you know, you lose those skills if you're not practicing them all the time, especially like in the off season and seeing videos that you put up. It's like, oh, that's a good reminder to make my brain think about the ways that we had to think in the class. And if you're not getting out every single week and during the winter, you know, you're not exercising that 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 brain uh, side that you learned previously. So I just want to say thank you for all the videos that you put because they've been super helpful, at least for myself. And you know, maybe you're not monetizing it, but I'm sure someday you'll get something where it's like, oh my gosh, I like watched this and I totally avoided this avalanche that potentially would have killed all of us. And it's like, what I've done has been totally worth it. So
1: yeah. What what I'm hoping really is you normalize that learning is okay. And not knowing everything is okay, and I, I'm pretty open that I don't know everything, and that we guides make mistakes. Um, just the difference is the margin of error that we pro- that we give ourselves to make a mistake, and I think that's the the one thing that I'm trying to impart on that is that it's okay to make mistakes in in a in an environment. Uh, you know, I call it the hot pan theory. You know, we are we we learn best when we experience something and get a little bit of tactile feedback. And that's something that you really don't get in the backcountry environment very often, is that direct feedback. And so if anything that people see um, helps them avoid having to touch the hot pan, I think that's all worth it for the, the time and effort that I do to put the, those videos out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Kurt, if people wanted to um, find your channel and watch some of those videos, what is your Instagram tag where they can find those?
1: Yeah, so that... the. You know, I do in combination with uh, both my personal one, which is at Powder Gangster, um, and then at Abby Bites is the main driver for all the avalanche avalanche related content. And so, okay. uh, yeah, I'm definitely open to answer questions. And you know, I always say that it's a non judgmental environment. So if people have a question or they've had an incident and they just want to have somebody to to look over and kind of have another look, like maybe where did I go wrong? You know, I definitely have done that for some people and, and kind of given some of that advice. And, you know, it's kind of things that I wish I had when I was, uh, you know, a pretty fresh backcountry skier and, uh, yeah, so those, those opportunities are out there. So you can look me up at, uh, at, at flights.
0: perfect. Yeah. I will go ahead and tag both of your Instagram handles in the show notes for anyone that's interested in following up with you. Um, but on that note, like if people wanted to follow up with you and maybe even book a guide trip with you, is there any prerequisites for that or how can they kind of get in and do that? No,
1: it's, it's pretty, pretty simple. You know, you can send me a message and, you know, I can coordinate with uh, whatever guiding service that, uh, that I'm working with in that given week. And, um, you know, in terms of prerequisites, you know, that's what we're there for. You know, we're there to help usher different levels of people into the mountains. And, you know, whether that's as simple as a, you know, an intro to backcountry touring type of product, or whether that's an avalanche course, or whether that's kind of more advanced mentorship and ski mountaineering skills, it's, I always say to people, it's an, you know, it's an ask kind of business you ask and we provide in within the margins of safety and and there's no question or no kind of ask that's kind of offside. It's just, you know, we're there to, to enable you to get what you want to get out of the mountains.
0: That is, that's so cool. That's so cool. Well, when I come up to Whistler this coming season, I will definitely be talking to you because I didn't even know, I mean, I've had people that have done, you know, various backcountry endeavors through there, but having a guy that knows the terrain really, really well is just very special opportunity. We've got our sneaky
1: little secrets. You know, people say the Whistler backcountry is really busy, but you spend, you know, 100 days in there a year over several years, you find the sneaky little spots and we can often find the best snow and the best skiing even when it's maybe not the best conditions and not just local experience and and skiing unfortunately over time skiing some bad runs that we didn't really like and figuring out what works and i think that's you, you gain that benefit and that experience and the local knowledge with a with a local guide
0: yeah absolutely well thank you kurt for coming on the podcast today i really appreciate it I'll go ahead and tag your Instagram handles in that. So if anyone wants to follow up with you, but otherwise I will look forward to skiing with you this winter.
1: Sounds good. Look forward to it.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the legacy podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please share this podcast with your ski community and follow it. So you don't miss another episode. Also, if you have a cool story and would like to be featured on the podcast, please reach out to the team. Lastly, if you're interested in working with me, you can book a strategy call at www.meettheskipt.com where I'll help you figure out the next best steps to keep you moving towards your journey of a lifetime of skiing.